Great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name's Kelly, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we are going to continue. We've taken a little break from our Romans uh, sermon series, uh, talking about the, the unpackaging of the gospel. And it's such an appropriate time of the year, right, to remember the birth of our Savior. Um, and what we're doing is we're, we're launching into this Advent season and reminding ourselves of the truth of why we do Advent, which the Advent is this understanding of a longing uh, for the coming or the arrival. That's what the word Advent means. It means coming or arrival. And, um, you know, the nation of Israel longed for a Savior that would, that would rescue them and set them free from the oppression that they were uh, experiencing governmentally. You see that over and over the nation of Israel uh, being overtaken by other nations and put into exile. And so their longing of this prophecy that has been given them uh, of a long and awaited Messiah that would come, Isaiah said, in the form of a child. And I want to make a couple announcements this morning, some family news as we speak about the arrival of a child. Uh, where are the, where were you guys this morning? Brandon and Leslie Hitchcock, why don't you guys stand this morning? Come on, stand up. They are with child this morning. Uh, and there's, other, there's another family here, uh, Brittany and Jeff Collins. Jeff is running sound there, and Brittany, why don't you stand? <sighs> they are with child. Not only are they with child, they are with childs. Yay! Times two. So um, Jeff this week texted me, and he sent me a picture of, uh, is it a sonogram? Is that what you call those? Ultrasound? And um, ladies, just so you know, men have no clue. What the, when, you, when you show us those pictures, we're like, you know? So, so Jeff sent me this, you know, and I was like, hey, yeah, I know you were pregnant. You already told me, congrats, buddy. And then he's like, no, we're having two. And then I looked at it, and there was two little babies inside that thing, you know, and I was just thought, it looked like somebody looking at me, you know, I didn't know. And so they are having twins, and you guys are only having one, right, that we know of, so yeah, that you know of. Congratulations, guys, it's beautiful. Um, so we, we are diving into our sermon series here in Advent, and you know, last week we looked at the truth of, of Jesus this word Emmanuel, which means God with us. God putting on flesh and bone and skin and muscle and blood and all of the things of what that means, the implications of the fact that Jesus became human. Um, and remember, I don't know if this, like you've been thinking about it through this week, but I have, even, just the fact that God omnipotent, God the creator of the universe, humbled himself and became microscopic cells inside the womb of a teenager. And if that doesn't really like mess with your mind a little bit, I don't know what does. The fact that the one who created all of the universe, which is unsearchable and unknowable, and every, the smartest people in the world say that it's expanding and there is no end and we can't fathom how many stars there are created. The one who, with a word, just spoke that into existence, right? humbles himself and becomes 
a single cell and then expanding into multiple cells and then starts to form his hands and his eyes and his head and his legs and his limbs and everything. And how does that work out with the consciousness of an all-creating, all-knowing God humbling himself um, into this little tiny baby into the vulnerable womb of a probably freaked out teenager, right? And so we, we, we looked at what it meant for us to explore the fact that Jesus was fully human. And, and what we have to do always in the gospel is we hold these, what's called two truths in tension. If we only hold on to the fact that Jesus was fully human, what we end up doing is saying, man, I, I really enjoy the fact that Jesus was a man just like me. He understood. He, he sympathized with my weaknesses. Uh, Hebrews tells us that he experienced every temptation known to man, yet he did not sin. And, and we love that. We love the fact that we have a God who, is, who understands us, who put on flesh and bones and, and can feel the same things that we feel, feel the hurts that we feel, the same pains that we feel. But if we only hold on to that side of the the, the, if you're walking a tightrope, if we only hold on to the balance beam on that side, what we end up doing is we go into some weird stuff and we, we say that Jesus was only man. But the other truth of it is that Jesus was fully God. At the same time, while, while Jesus was fully man, fully human, he was fully God. And um, theologians and smarter people who understand our faith would call this the hypostatic union of Christ. Unless we only hold on to Matthew's gospel, John in his gospel helps us understand the other side of the truth, that Jesus is fully God. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of John. We actually prayed this this morning. We pray every morning uh, on Sundays, and we, get, we gather together in this room, and we pray for the, the power and the presence of God Almighty to come, and for us to have an encounter with God, and that God would radically change us. And someone prayed this over us this morning, John chapter 1. We even sang it this morning. And I want, as we read this, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and minister to you and reveal things that in your heart sometimes can be dimmed of the truth of who God is. And this is what John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip down to verses 9. Starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, speaking of Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not, uh, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 9. The reason why we're skipping here, verse 6, some of you might be English majors in this this, you would read this, and this is like grammatically, this is not how you write a story, just inserting an introduction about who Jesus is and then inserting an introduction about John the Baptist, but John does it here, and so we're, we're, we don't need to read that part this morning. We're going to skip to verse 9. It says this, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Emmanuelness 
of our God, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. So word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray this morning. Jesus, we, we thank you that you were fully human, yet you were fully God. And I, and I pray for us this morning, those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, those of us this morning who either are having a really great week or a, maybe a terrible week or feeling unseen by either those around us or maybe the truth, the reality is, God, that sometimes we feel unseen by you. Jesus, I pray that this morning as we, as we look at the truth of, of who you are, remind us that you see us. Remind us that you're with us. Remind us, Jesus, that you are Emmanuel, that you are God incarnate that you are with us this morning. We just want to say thank you for that truth, Jesus. Thank you that you humbled yourself and set aside the privilege of heaven and came to earth and made a way for us. We celebrate that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's the truth. Yes, Jesus was fully man. But the other side of this truth, this tightrope, so to speak, if we're holding both of these in balance, is that Jesus was fully God. And for us of a, those of us who call ourselves Christians or disciples of Jesus, we, we cannot let go of either one of those ever at any time in our Christian walk. As Jesus, as the Holy Spirit calls us to walk in obedience to him, these two truths of who Jesus is for us have huge implications as we desire and we, we, we do our best to, so to speak, kind of walk a straight line of obedience in Christ. And so there's a, there's a few things that the implications of not only Jesus being fully human, but of him being fully divine and fully God, the implications of that this morning we're going to unpackage. And, and we, we really need to say, God, will you help me to see this? Will you help me to understand this? Will you help me to live this out as I desire and as I, in my own strength sometimes, try to be a good Christian? What does that mean for me as I desire to walk out the truth of the gospel? And, and here's the number one thing we've said it already in my, in my introduction, is that Jesus is God. He's fully God. He's divine. And what I want us to do here in a moment is just look at some scriptures that help us see that, the truth. Um, remember when we were going through our sermon series, um, out of context and how we, we talked about how the Bible, sometimes we just isolate these verses and what we do is um, we try to build a whole theology around one verse. Well, one of the truths of helping us understand how to interpret uh, scripture is understanding that scripture, first of all, interprets scripture. Uh, if, if we want to understand what scripture means about itself, we have to go to scripture to see if it lines up with itself. And so we're going to do that this morning in looking at the truths of Jesus being fully divine. You guys ready to, to kind of dive in a little bit into the nerdy stuff this morning? And then we'll get into more of the like, oh, it makes me feel good inside stuff, all right? Yeah, I promise, right? So let's, let's unpackage, first of all, Jesus is fully God. 
um, there are usually three things that when we describe attributes of divinity, of who God is, um, these are, you, we're going to see these in Jesus. And the first one is this, that Jesus knows all things. Basically, that Jesus is omniscient, okay? That is an attribute only given to God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And he, so let, let's just get there. I'm just, sometimes I'm like wanting to get sidetracked. So yeah, I say, Kelly, stay on track here this morning. All right, so look at Luke chapter 5. Verse 21 through 24, this is, if you know this, the story, there's, some, there's a sick guy, and they're trying to get him to Jesus, and his buddies say, hey, I got a great idea. Let's cut a hole in the roof of somebody's house we don't even know, and then, uh, that, you know, it makes sense, and then lower him through the roof so that he can get to Jesus, because that's how desperate they were for, this, for their friend to be healed, and this is what happens in verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Because Jesus forgives the man of his sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question. Jesus knew what they were thinking. See, Jesus knows without them even having to say anything. And it wasn't just context clues of the look in their eye. Because of his divinity, he understood what was going on in their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. Jesus says this, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Neither of them. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And if you read the rest of the story, that's exactly what happens. And Jesus not only displays his divinity, his godness, his fully being God in the fact that he can heal somebody, but in the fact that he forgives them of sins. And the truth is that he knows the hearts of those. And, and we could look at this and think of the negative aspect of Jesus knowing the truth about people. He knows all things. And sometimes we can apply this to our lives and go, oh, I better be careful what I'm thinking, Right? That's a very religious way of understanding our faith. Like, God is this big ogre God, and he's always looking to see my thoughts, and he's going to, like, kind of slap me to get me back in line. And if I don't, he's going to, like, really punish me and kind of stuff. But the beauty is, the truth is, that if we are disciples of Christ, that Jesus not only knows our thoughts, but he knows everything about us, and it's toward our good and it's toward our, his love for us. See, Jesus, the scripture says, God knows the very numbers of hairs on your head. That's crazy. He knows everything. He knows what's going to happen uh, as you leave these doors today. He knows what you're going to have for lunch. If you're going to go and get fish tacos across the street or some fajitas or some bean and cheese. Well, I don't know why I'm going to Mexican food, but that just sounds really good right now. <laughs> he knows everything about you, and it's not that he knows everything about you to keep you in line. It's that he knows everything about you because he loves you so much. One of the things we were praying for this morning is that those of us who are going through some hardships, right? Things that you will probably maybe never share with anybody in this world. Things that are way deep down in the crevices of your heart that you're feeling sorrow and pain and anguish. And you may feel unseen. The beauty is that Jesus in his omniscience knows everything and he sees you this morning. And it's not aloof. He's not like, oh, well. I'm sure they'll figure it out. Jesus knows the pain in your heart. 
He knows every circumstance. Maybe it's the, the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's financial hardship. Maybe it's estrangement from family. I don't know. Because I know this time of the year, sometimes it can be like the most glorious time of the year where everything's lined up right. Maybe you're getting a bonus this month. Woo, it's going to be a great Christmas. It just feels like everything's pumping. Or maybe it's the opposite this year. It, it, I don't know. But Jesus sees you where you are. And the reason Jesus is able to do that is because he's fully God. See, we don't have a Savior who is limited in his power. It's such good news for us. We don't have to make up lack for where our saviors, or make up for the lack where our Savior somehow would feel that way, or, or we would experience that way. No, Jesus is fully God, and he fully knows us, and that's good news for our souls. Not only is Jesus omniscient and he knows all things, Jesus is everywhere. Sounds like Santa Claus kind of stuff, like, you know, like, what's, you better watch out, you better, you know, like, what we, I mean, that is the most genius parent song ever. I don't know who wrote it, but thank you so much, because what it does is it keeps our kids in line during Christmas, right? And we somehow adopt that same kind of understanding that Jesus is looking, he's watching. I remember growing up in a Christian school, and we used to sing this song. Natalie probably helped me learn this. Um, be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? And then it went to hands and ears and all these kind of things. And I remember as a kid is, is I think, good intentioned as that song was, I always remember feeling this fear that Jesus or God was always looking over me and like going to smack me at any time. <laughs> but that's not really the application of Jesus being everywhere. Some, some proof text that helps us see this is Matthew 18 verse 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, there am I with them. Now, he's, he, the context here is, you know, like, there's, there's, uh, there's problem, relational problems, and Jesus says, hey, when you're, when you're trying to work out some relational problems, when the two or three of you get together, I promise I'm going to help you. I'll be with you. Uh, he says this, and continued in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, and surely I am with you always, he tells his disciples before he ascends into heaven, to the very end of the age. Jesus is everywhere. He's omnipresent. That's, that's a characteristic only given to God. It doesn't end there. Jesus is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Matthew 8, verse 26 through 27 says, he replied, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? This is when the disciples are in the boat and they're going across and the waves are going crazy. And he got up. I mean, evident, he was sleeping, by the way. This is so crazy to think of. I mean, I was just driving down a mountain the other day. I was sitting in the back seat and I was feeling so nauseous, just sitting in a car going down the hill. And Jesus here is asleep in a boat that is going crazy. And he's just like, I don't know if he was just exhausted because the text does let us know he's tired or if he was just so at peace because he was God that he wasn't worried. Either one, it's crazy to think, how can Jesus sleep through that? That's not the point I'm trying to tell you. Anyway, then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus has all power. See, 
let me, let me finish this. Colossians talks about Jesus being the creator and sustainer. There's something only attributed to God himself. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says this, For in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created, what? Through him and for him. And it says this in verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, if Jesus is God, if Jesus is fully God, if, if there's no part of him that is restrained in his knowing or in his presence or in his power, in his creation-ness of who he is, of him holding all things together, as Colossians says, Man, I think we said this last week, basically the truth that our atoms don't just fly apart is because Jesus is holding all of creation together. If that is true, then the implications of the incarnation of Christ, of God becoming flesh, should give us hope, right? Should give us joy in the midst of maybe a season that would speak otherwise, should give us hope for a future, should speak into our circumstances right now and say, Jesus, thank you that you became and that you're present with me. Thank you that you know everything about me. Thank you that you, you, nothing is catches you off guard or unaware. Oh my goodness, I couldn't believe that happened. No, that doesn't happen with Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you know every circumstance. Thank you, Jesus, that you can control the wind and the ways. And my life right now feels like one of those where, scenes where the disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee and everything's going crazy. Thank you, Jesus, that it, with the word, because you are all-powerful, you can give me peace in the midst of a storm. So if Jesus is fully God, if he is, which we in faith believe he is, how does that work out for us, the here and now? Terra firma, right? Every, every, like, that's great conceptually, Kelly. That's great if I like, really try to tell myself the truth of that when I'm going through all these kind of hard circumstances. If I just, like, mm, if I just believe it enough, it's going to happen. No, no, no. There's reality to what that means for us. There's implications for what that means for us as Christians. And this is one of the beauties of that is that if we want to know God, we know Jesus. If we know Jesus, we know God. This is what John, we read it already, but it might have been lost on us as we are kind of going through that here this morning. Verses 9 through 13 says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And here it is in verse 12. And this is for us this morning. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We know God if we know Jesus. And, and here's the truth this morning. It's, it's this whole Emmanuelness again. And, and what the Gospels don't let us get away from is that God became flesh, that God came down to us. See, God makes himself knowable to a group of humanity who would otherwise accuse him of being aloof, 
accuse him of being un, uh, not in touch with his creation. Uh, you know, this kind of a God who floats around and never touches the ground and never gets his hands dirty. Well, where was God when this happened to me? Where was God when this tragedy took place? Where was God when all these hard things and circumstances are taking place in my Where is God? And God says, I became flesh and dwelt among you. Yeah, but we can't really know that. We can't really understand that God's so big and he's so, he's so strong and he's so mighty like we sing and we teach our kids, my God is so big, he's the creator of everything. Yes, he's the creator of everything, but yet he's the one who became single cells in the womb of a teenage mom. He's not aloof. He's not far off. He's not the Bette Midler variety of Christianity. That he's, God is watching us from a distance, right? He's in our face. He's with us. And here's the thing about if you want to know God, you know Jesus, you can't know God without knowing Jesus. The two go hand in hand. And it's not just knowing or accepting a fact that Jesus is God. You may have grown up in church and you've heard these scriptures. You may be able to teach them better than I can this morning. Maybe go to more proof text about Jesus being divine. But if the reality of Jesus being fully God and you have not submitted to that, then you don't know God. You cannot know Jesus, and we speak about this knowing, it's an intimacy. It's a desire to do his will, his ways. It's a way of surrendering your life to him. See, often what we do is we want to make Jesus just our savior, right? Like, when we get into trouble, we cry out, God, I need your help, and God comes in his grace and his mercy, and he saves us from our sins. But with that comes an acknowledgement that if he is fully God, that means that not only is Jesus a savior, but he is my master, he is my Lord. And whatever Jesus says, I do. And when Jesus says harsh and hard things, like unless you deny your mom and dad and your, your sister and your brother and you follow me, unless you hate them in comparison in your love for me, you have no part of me. We hear that and we go, I like the fact that Jesus is my savior, but I don't like the fact that he's calling me to be a servant to him because that's too hard. Unless you eat and drink of my flesh, you have no part of me which he's saying, unless you surrender all of who you are, even your very physical life to me, you have no part of me, that's hard. I want to know God. I want to know what God's will is for my life. I want to know this. Then know Jesus. Then surrender your life to Jesus. Then lay your will down at the feet of Jesus, and you will know God, because Jesus is fully God. You guys okay this morning? All right. What else is the implication of Jesus being fully God? And this is probably where we're going to camp out for the rest of our time here this morning. Is this, since Jesus is God, he has power over our shame and our brokenness, over our sin. This is what verses 16 through 17 say of John chapter 1. For from his fullness we have all received... 
grace upon grace. Sounds similar to Romans, doesn't it? For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me want to read that again. From, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, we know that as Christians, our whole faith is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that God is holy, God is creator, he created man in his image, and we sinned, we fell back in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve, they, fit, they, they fail, they, uh, God says you can do all of this, you can have all of this, you can, you can eat of every fruit, you can do, just look at it all, it's all yours except for this one little tree, don't eat of it. And Adam and Eve still mess it up, and they fall and they sin, and yet Jesus comes and we understand that this is our gospel. Jesus rescues us from our sin because we needed rescuing. And our eternal hope and our, our, our future hope is in Christ. And if we understand this truth of the gospel and understanding that since Jesus is fully God, there is no other way that we can receive forgiveness or power over sin or power over our shame other than Christ. And see, this is one of the most deepest and truth, profound truths of Jesus being incarnate, being fully God. If we somehow turn our sights during this Christmas season and just want to like talk about Jesus meek and mild being this little cute little like baby in the manger. I saw Babylon Bee. I don't know if you guys know what Babylon Bee is, but it's a fictitious Christian news article that is hilarious. It pokes fun of every Christian, ourselves included. And it talked about Jesus comes back, looks at the nativity scene, and wonders who this little white baby is in the, in the manger. And what we want to do is we want to reduce our, our Christmas time to this little glowing lit up baby in a manger where the sheep didn't poo right? All they did was meh. It was peaceful. The, 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 the magi came up and they were fully decked out from months and months of traveling. They didn't smell at all. It was like they just stepped out of a play and everything was peaceful and angels were oh, singing and no! It was hectic. There was going on. There was cows. There were sheep. There were goats. There were, it was probably, I mean, they're in a, like a, a cave with hay. But imagine putting Jesus in this dirty little manger. But what we want to do is the sentiment of like, oh, Jesus is so cute. And we, we, do, we do is we reduce this time of the year to Jesus being like this. But the beauty is that Jesus is fully God. And the only one who's able to overcome our sin. And the reality is, you can't fix you. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many gifts you try to put under your tree this year to make yourself or your family feel better about themselves, no matter all the bonuses you could get, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears that you effort into your Christianity, into your morality, into you trying to be a good Christian, you can't do it. And friends, that's the beauty of celebrating Advent is that while we couldn't do it, God in his mercy and his grace came down, became flesh, and says, I know you can't fix you. 
I know that you can't fix you. Remember, I was there in the garden for however long that was when Adam and Eve, everything was just going good, and then all of a sudden they lost their mind and messed it up. I was there. Now, here's the other beauty, beautiful thing about this. Religion can't fix you. It can't. You can't fix you, and religion can't fix you. See, religion says, if I do enough, I will make God happy with me, and then God will bless me. The gospel is, God's already happy with me. He sent his son, and so therefore, I do these things in return as in worship to God, not in order to get favor from God, but because of my gratitude and saying, God, in spite of who I am, you came and you set me free, and so therefore, I do good, good works. Now, here is what John tells us about the fact that gospel or that the that religion cannot save us. He says this in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. That's religion. Uh, so God comes and he says, man, these people are out of control. They're just, they don't know what to do. They don't know what's right from wrong. So what I'm going to do through Moses is I'm going to give them 10 things to follow. What did we end up doing? Still can't even do that, right? So Jesus comes. Now here's proof that religion can't save you. Jesus did not come down fully man and fully God and say, hey, guess what? Since you couldn't keep these 10 commandments, I think what we need to do is give you 10 more. Because you couldn't follow these, so I'm going to give you a... Now here's proof that religion can't save you. Jesus did not come down fully man and fully God and say, hey, guess what? Since you couldn't keep these 10 commandments... I think what we need to do is give you 10 more because you couldn't follow these. So I'm going to give you a second chance and I'm going to add 10 more rules to the 10 commandments and we would be sitting here this morning with the 20 commandments. Thou shalt go to church. Thou shalt smile at your neighbor. Thou shalt walk old ladies across the street. Thou shalt speak well about your, God, your, your boss. Thou shalt pay your taxes. Thou, all of these kind of things. Thou shalt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. See, Jesus didn't come down, and what he didn't do is come down and point fingers at us. Hey, hey, I'm God. Hey, I'm God. I'm perfect. You're not like me. By the way, get in line. Here's some more commandments. Religion will save you. If you can do this, then I'll accept you. What Jesus did is he came down, and he not only looked at the Ten Commandments, but he fulfilled them for us on our behalf because he knew that we couldn't do it in our own power. And if we reduce Christmas time to a little baby glowing, lit up, with beautiful surroundings and everyone looking picturesque, then we have lost the truth of what this season means for us. 
The season means, yes, Jesus was fully human. Yes, he experienced everything that I experienced. Yes, he understands my pain and my sorrow, and he comforts me. But he's so much more than that. He's bigger than that. He's fully God. And in his godness, he's not only able to, to, to understand how I feel, he's able to overcome how I feel. He's able to say with the word, it is broken, it is finished, let this be done, let that be done. I give you peace, I'm always with you, I know everything about you, I will never forsake you, you are seen. And it's so good news for us. How dare we reduce Christmas to this little tiny baby. As if that's all Jesus was. See, Christmas, since Jesus is God, he has power over our sin, but he also has power over our shame. And I think this may be the hardest one for us to say yes and amen to. For some of us in this room, shame, bitterness, is like a warm blanket. We like to wear it because it gives us an excuse to hold on to our bitterness. We like to wear it because it gives us comfort or it, it legitimizes, that's not a word, okay, sorry. Legitimizes, you're welcome. It legitimizes our bitterness. It legitimizes our rage. Or if we hear of a friend who is, who is mistreated by another person, we go, oh yeah, yeah, give it to him, give it to him. We like to hold on to this. And whenever we hear this truth, that Jesus sets us free from this because he's fully God, we go, I understand it in my mind, but my heart says, no, I want to hold on to this. Some of you here might be saying, yeah, Kelly, I, I get what you're saying, I understand that, but you don't know what I did. You don't understand the bad things I've done. I want to just ask, is there anyone here, don't raise your hand, who has committed adultery on your spouse with your best friend's spouse, and then you had your best friend murdered so that you could get away with it. Anybody here? Probably not. David did that. You know what the Bible says about David? He was a man after God's own heart. You mean in spite of him? Yeah, why? Because Jesus being fully God, God in his grace and mercy, afforded for there to be righteousness for David as he held on to the grace of God rather than his own works. Anybody here this morning say, yeah, I used to hate the church, and then because I hated the church, I used to drag people in the church off to jail. I used to ravage the church. I would murder people in the church. Anybody here? Probably not. Paul did that. Paul did that. And then on his way to Damascus with papers in hand from the religious leaders, Jesus intervenes in his godness and his divinity and says, why are you persecuting me? And his life is totally changed. And I know that the things that we've done, we can look at those and go, yeah, that's terrible. The beauty is it doesn't matter what you've done. If you put your hope and your faith in Christ and his divinity, what he does is he takes ugliness 
and he makes it beauty. The Bible says ashes for beauty. He takes the burnt things of our lives, the rubble. If you watch a World War II movie where the, the English and the Germans and the Americans and the French are fighting and you go through these towns and you see people walking through and it's just rubble. What Jesus does is he takes that kind of a situation in our life and he rebuilds it brick by brick, intimately painting every single part of it, washing everything, and he restores it, and he makes us whole again. Now, the obvious implication is, friends, that if Jesus can forgive us of our sins and wipe our shame away, that it empowers us to be able to do that for others. That's part of who we are as Christians. That's part of why we exist as Southlands Chino. That's why we're doing this above and beyond campaign, so to speak, right? We're, with, with, with the faith in our heart, we're saying, God, you called us to give back. And it's not just for ourselves. You called us to give into the nations. You called us tomorrow. This is what's happening tomorrow. A group of people, we're going tomorrow, and we're going um, to serve the staff over at Chino High School and what we've done is we've got a list of every single staff person, from janitor to principal, every single person that we asked, and we got a name. And what we did is we wrote and we just said, hey, we see you. God sees you. God loves you. We're praying for you. We want to encourage you. And, and we're not just giving these little notes. We're also feeding them. We're saying, hey, because we appreciate you, because we want you to know that we see you, we want to just do something small. I know it's just something little, but we want to give you some food. So you don't have to do it on your own. We want to say we appreciate what you're doing. Why are we doing that? Because we're, we're, what we're doing is we're taking the forgiveness and the shame and the sin and the sorrow and the pain and the suffering that we experienced and how Jesus has transformed that. And what we're wanting to do is sow, sow it into others around us who may not understand that same, same truth. And say, hey, we just want to say we appreciate you. Not because, you're, you know, we're so amazing, but because God is so amazing. And we want to show you that same truth. That's part of why we're doing this above and beyond. That's why we're investing back into our youth group, tribe, who has seen people raised up and become disciples of Jesus and being baptized right here in the front. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And that's our encouragement as we go from this season into the new year, into where the new year feelings fade off and all the lights are taking down, taken down. We remember the truth that because Jesus is fully God, he forgave us of our sins, so therefore, we don't carry the shame, and we don't hold the shame or unforgiveness over others. Amen? Will you stand with me this morning?